open your copy of God's Word to Romans chapter 12. Spent a few weeks already on the first couple of verses. I want to spend at least one more this morning to just think through what this passage is saying about how we can know the will of God. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. How do we know God's will? How do we prove the will of God that's good and perfect and acceptable to God? Uh, the scriptures tell us in the old days, look, look at Hebrews chapter um, 1 verse 1. In the old days, this is how anybody knew the will of God. It says, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways. In the old days, God spoke directly to certain men, prophets like Moses. He spoke to him. He sent an angel to him. I've often thought, it would be pretty envious if one of y'all had your own angel, you know, speaking to you, just telling you what's the will of God. That would be cool if we had that. In, in past, some people did. God said, I don't do it that way anymore. Now I speak to you through the written word of God. I speak to you through Christ himself, who is the word. Um, we can know God's will directly. There's some clear passages of scripture where God tells us this is the will of God. Let me give you a couple. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Uh, people come to me from time to time and say, you know, I don't know what to do. My boyfriend wants me to move in. Or my girlfriend wants me to move in. It, you know, isn't that a good way to try out this whole marriage thing? I said, well, you want to know the will of God, right? And they say, sure. I said, all right, let's look at 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 3. And it says, for this is the will of God. That's pretty, everybody understands that, right? This is the will of God. There's no arguing about it at all. Your sanctification that is, that you abstain from sexual immorality. It doesn't get any clearer than that. For those of you who are teenagers here, for those of you who are adults here, God's will is perfectly clear. Be sexually pure. Sexual relationships happen after marriage, not before marriage. God has a very clear will. For your life, your holiness. And he says, now if you don't understand that, I'll spell it out. That means abstain from sexual immorality. And since God's given us a clear command, don't commit adultery. He means sex is to be in marriage, not outside. But here's a clear passage where you can know the will of God. There's no arguing it. You can disagree with it. You can choose not to obey it, but it's clear what it is. You do know the will of God on that subject. Apparently our world does not know it. But you know, everyone in this room now knows the will of God when it comes to sexual relationships. Abstain from sexual immorality. God's will is clear. 
but now how about on some other things that are smaller kind of stuff? Like, I don't know, what restaurant you're going to eat at tomorrow? Or what job you're going to take? Or who you're going to marry? How do you know the will of God when it's something like that? It seems like it's a smaller thing. It's just about you and not so much about everyone. How can we find the will of God? Well, I'm here this morning to tell you, you can. And you can put up your magic boards. You can put up reading the horoscopes. You can quit with the internet searches. And you can read the Word of God and find out and know the will of God for your life. That's part of what Romans 12 1 and 2 is about. I urge you, brethren, because of God's mercies, present your bodies a living, holy sacrifice. It's acceptable to God. It's your spiritual service of worship. Don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can prove. So I want you to prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. It's going to be great. When you do it this way. So I want us to kind of unpack that and see that. You know, it'd be great. I've often thought it'd be great if, if God just sent me an email. If God just give me a text. Let me know what it is he wants me to do. It's, it's, it's not hard, God. You could just email it in. Text it in. Use our church app. Just let us know, Lord. You know, what it is. God says, no, no, no. I got a better plan for how you can know these things. I want to give you a plan where you start thinking. Do you see that? I want you to present your bodies. I want you to do something that's logical. I remember I told you, I think it was last week, the word spiritual, same word as logical, um, rational. He said, this is, this is going to be logical stuff that I'm giving you. You can prove the will of God by not being conformed, by being transformed. You can prove this. In other words, I mean, you've heard the old adage, uh, give a man a fish and you feed him for a day. Teach a man to fish, you feed him for a lifetime, right? Well, we know that. And God's not going to just text it in, give us an email, and just tell us one thing to do. God would much rather teach us how to prove the will of God. And then you will know the will of God in every situation for the rest of your days. A lot of times we're asking God, just, just text it in. I want to know this one thing. And God says, I don't want to give you one thing. It's just like giving you a fish for a day. I'd much rather give you what you need to prove the will of God. So start thinking that direction as you look at this text. That's what God wants to provide for us. Now, as I, as I try to get deeper into, Lord, how do I know your will? And you can look up all the verses in the Bible on God's will and God's plan. And when you do so, you will notice two kind of categories of will of God. Maybe it helps if I spend a little time just kind of describing it. The way I put it in my mind, if I, I should have, I'm just not creative enough to think ahead of time of how I would do this, but if I was teaching in a class, I'd probably write on one side um, God's sovereign plan, and then beside that, write God's specific precepts, and then from those two categories, make a V coming down, and both of those make up God's will, 
So God's will is bigger than just what you want to know. God has a sovereign plan, and God has specific precepts He wants you and I to do. He's not asking us in Romans 12 to know the sovereign plan. In other words, He's not asking us to know what the weather's going to be like tomorrow. That's part of His sovereign plan. Big picture stuff. He is asking us to prove the specific precepts. Both together is His will. So when you look up the will of God in the Scripture, at times it might refer to the sovereign plan, at other times specific precepts. They both are aspects of the same one huge will of God. In Romans 12, I think the focus is more on the specific precepts. I want you to prove what, what it is I want you to do. These specific things, the little things that you are looking for. Now, I'll just give you an example of the the sovereign plan, then we'll get to the specific precepts. Look at Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, uh, verse 23. It says, This man, speaking of Christ, Peter's preaching, he's pointing out Christ, says, This man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. You nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. That's a big statement. Since you put Christ to death, some of you right here in the audience. But God already knew it. It was predetermined. It was part of this big sovereign plan of God. God foreknew it. He already knew it was going to happen. Now, what does that tell you? It tells you God's sovereign plan, the big plan, it included murder. It included accusing an innocent man. It included all of these sinners doing sinful stuff to get Christ on the cross. That's the big picture. God's sovereign plan includes all of the sin and ugliness of our society. It doesn't say He sinned. It doesn't say He caused it. But it was all included in His plan. It was predetermined. I, don't, I won't take the time, I'll get sidetracked. But you can look up James 1. God doesn't tempt anyone. God never sins. There's other factors that bring sin into the world. But God's plan includes all of that. It includes everything, and it must. Um, give you another example. Look at 1 Peter 3, verse 17. Maybe a tough one for us sometimes to think about when we want to know God's will. 1 Peter 3, verse 17 says, It is better if God should will it so. So this is part of His will. It's better if He should will it that you suffer. See, we don't like that part of His will, do we? God's will is for us to suffer. But He says, I want you to suffer for doing what is right. There's some specific will stuff in there. Rather than for doing what is wrong. But when God's will includes our suffering... It also includes bad people doing bad stuff to us that cause us to suffer. So that sovereign plan, it includes bad. It includes the good. God's not causing it, but He's aware of it, and it's part of His plan so that um, the world doesn't just spin out of control. Look at Ephesians 1. Verse 11 says, 
Also, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to His purpose, who works all things after the counsel of His will. That's what I'm just trying to get you to feel and embrace. God works all things after the counsel of His will. He has a plan, a very specific sovereign plan, that includes everything. Past, present, and future, God is in control. That's the sovereign plan of God. So if you gamble, God already knows where the dice are going to fall. If a bird struggles in the storm, he already knows when the bird falls. If you've got something in your heart, he can already read what's in your heart. And he knows your thoughts before you commit them. That's God's sovereign plan. God is God. He's in charge of everything. He's not asking us to know that, you know, the specifics of that plan. He's got that. Those are God things. Now let's get to specific precepts. We're not robots. He didn't create us to be robots. He gave us the ability to choose. You can choose to obey God or disobey God. That's your choice. God has a specific precept for you and me. He has specific things he wants us to do. And you get to choose to do it or not do it. His plan includes both choices. And he's encouraging us to prove the will of God. Prove that you can choose and do the specific things God wants for your life. We are uh, obligated to keep God's will. To keep the specific things that God has planned. I just share the sovereign plan. Just to let you know. Whatever choice you choose. You will not and cannot thwart the plan of God. Because God's sovereign plan includes both choices. He's aware of what we're going to do. When we're going to do it. And God makes a plan. But he's telling us as his people. I want you to choose to obey my specific precepts. And those of us who are believers will. We will learn how to do this, and we will start making right choices that are pleasing to God. And it's imperative. Look at uh, Matthew chapter 7. God says the people who don't get focused on His law, His precepts, and do them are the people who aren't going to heaven. And this is one of the strongest passages about it. Uh, Matthew 7, Jesus on sermon. He says these words. Matthew 7, beginning at verse 21. Everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Excuse me, not everyone. I missed the word not. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father, he is the one who enters heaven. And he describes that a little. He says, take the last day of judgment. Verse 22, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? In your name cast out demons. In your name perform many miracles. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. Why? He makes it clear. You practice lawlessness. You don't prove the will of God. You don't do the specific commands I gave you to do. You don't make the right choices. You're not choosing God's commands over something else. Now you talk the talk. You talk about Jesus. You call him Lord. You obviously go to church. You pray. You talk about Jesus to other people. But you don't prove the will of God. You don't keep the law of God. 
You're lawless. That's not your guide. That's not your precept. As a result of that, you don't enter into heaven because my plan is to let those enter who prove the will of God. So it's imperative. Like I said, you will learn to know and keep the will of God as a believer. It's the non-believer who won't. We can tell them all day long, this is the will of God, your sanctification. And they say, yeah, but we're going to move in together. It's like, what? No, you're not. Not if you're a believer. You're going to be controlled by the Spirit of God to keep the will of God. You will prove what is God's will. doesn't mean you won't sin, but you're going to be constantly repenting, turning from sin, and coming back to keep the law of God. That's what God wants for us. He wants us to know His commands and keep them. Um, we can offer to God worship, right? Romans 12. This is your spiritual service of worship. You, you have a choice to prove the will of God and offer it to Him as worship. You have the opportunity to give God praise. We looked at 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 3. Uh, God's will is our sanctification. In that same book, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 18, it says this. When you look up the will passages. In everything, give thanks. Everything. Why? For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I was thinking about that yesterday as I, I, we, we cut down a tree and I was suffering. God said, you need to be a little thankful here. You know, I just had this conviction as I was thinking about that verse for today. This is God's will. Be ye thankful in all things. That's why God's people say we're not a grumbling people. We don't grumble and complain. We're, we, are, we are a thankful people. We have a meal every Sunday. It's called uh, the Eucharist, the Thanksgiving. We come to thank God for the mercy and grace He gives us through Christ. We're thankful. That is the will of God, that we're thankful in all things. Sanctification is something we are pursuing. It is God's will. Thankfulness is something... We are pursuing. You know the Lord's prayer. Jesus taught his disciples. And in that prayer, he says, Thy will be done. Do you ever pray that prayer? If you pray that prayer, God's will be done. You're not really praying it if you don't have some inkling of what the will is. What are you asking God to do? And God says, I want you to know my specific precepts so you can do them and pray that God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven. He wants us to know that will and he wants us to do it. Um, now, God's will is broken every day. His sovereign plan is still in place. Let me, let me just put the two together. Sovereign plan, specific precepts. And then I'll move on to how you can know the specific precepts. Let's suppose... You're driving down the road, or you're in a car that's going down the road. You may not be driving. You're just you're in the car. And that car coming at you, they're texting and driving. You see them swerving, and just as they get to you, they swerve over and hit you head on. 
and you suffer, and it's horrendous, and you weren't doing anything wrong, you need to know about the sovereign plan of God. You need to know about the specific precepts of God. There's things for you to do right now. Be thankful in all things, even in suffering. And you start thinking about that specific will stuff. What is God, what is your will for me right now? That perhaps even through suffering, Romans 5, through suffering, we build character. And through endurance, patience, and hope. And through this experience of great pain and suffering, I can be thankful because you're doing something to me and through me and in me. And we begin to meditate like that on God's specific will for our lives. And it comes to our minds, Romans 8, 28. Even this automobile accident, God works all things together for good to those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. And we see as we do His specific will, even in pain, it matters. Now, the, the sovereign plan of God matters because you need to know when that car hits you head on that the world didn't all of a sudden spin out of control. God still got this, right? He still got it. He includes the bad and the good in his sovereign plan. He's predetermined certain amount of suffering for all of us and pain, and things we will go through, but He will take His people and work it together for good. You can trust Him because the world didn't spin out of control. He had all of this as part of His plan. So when you look at the will of God, you're looking at big, big stuff is what I'm saying. Break it down. There's times we are not going to know all of the secret plans of God. As a matter of fact, Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, Let the secret things say with God. Let the things that are revealed be with us. God knows so much more. We're going to spend eternity and never reach the depth of what God knows. His plan is huge. But he gives us specific precepts we can prove. We can know. We can do. We can start doing the will of God. And he wants us to do that. He doesn't give us a GPS. He gives us a plan to work so that we know exactly what he wants us to do. Um, let me give you four things. How to prove the will of God. Number one, by presenting our bodies. Number two, by renewing our minds. Number three, by trusting the Bible to apply to our situations. And then number four, by transforming our hearts. So let's work through those. How do you know the will of God for something specific you want to know in your life? First of all, Romans 12, verse 1 says, By the mercies of God... Present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. Why did he say bodies? I struggled with that for a while. Why did you say present your spirit? We're talking about worship, God. Why did you say present your money? Why did you say present your life? Why did you choose the word bodies? That changes things. We know that our bodies is where 
we commit our lives to everything. It's through our bodies. Our bodies matter to God. We confess that God will resurrect us from the dead, body and soul. Our bodies matter. And here he's telling us to present our bodies to him, which is only logical, he says. That's, that's your spiritual, rational service is that you present to me your bodies. Well, it should make sense already. We've looked at 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, that what is the will of God for your life? This is the will of God, your sanctification, the presenting of your body to sexual purity and not impurity matters. That's something you do with your body. He's telling us here to present our bodies to him. Let's suppose I'm having a conversation yesterday, and these come up from week to week. Somebody says, you know, I see somebody, one of you, real life stuff. And uh, I say, well, hope to see you in church tomorrow. You know, I don't know if you're coming or not, but I, I hope to see you. And you immediately respond because you, you don't want to lie. You don't want me to presume you're coming when you already know you're not coming. And so you, you tell me some reason why you're not going to be here. And then you say, but don't let it bother you, David. I, I'm going to be with you in spirit. And I've already sent my tithe in. And I'm thinking, that's supposed to make me feel better, right? I like the tithe part. Yeah, go ahead and do that. But I don't know. I mean, maybe if you haven't been a preacher, you don't understand how frustrating it is to preach to empty chairs full of spirits. You're going to be with me in spirit, which means the chair's going to be empty, and I'm just supposed to just preach to the spirit. No. God says, present your bodies to me. Because it's with your body that you offer thanks. It's with your body that you sing praise. It's with your body that you give a kiss or receive a kiss. It's with your bodies that you hug one another. It's with your bodies that you encourage one another. It's with your bodies that you do the will of God. You've got to be committed Dabo would say, you've got to be all in with your body. Your flesh has to show up and give it to God. That's where you start. A commitment to do what God wants with our bodies. We are to be stewards of this flesh that God has given us. And we're to present our bodies unto God. It's only logical. He is our creator. He created these bodies in His image. Let's sidetrack, rabbit trail. I don't know why this is in my mind, but let me just think about it with you for a minute. The will of God. When you see someone coming at you, what's the world think? This person who's coming to me, directly at me, he's obviously, or she's obviously going to, want something from me. When the world sees someone that they're about to enter some sort of relationship, they evaluate that and say, this person's either going to hurt me or is going to help me. Hurt me or help me. Two categories. So you size them up. What is this person who's coming to you? It's really just an object that's going to hurt or going to help. What are you thinking about as a worldly person, my desires, 
This person's helping me or hurting me, my body. If you're a Christian, what's the will of God when you see someone else that you're about to enter a relationship with? What's the will of God as someone's coming to you? It's what is God's will for you at that moment? It's not to think object of hurt or help. When you start thinking God's thoughts after him, God says, I want you to see the people I've created, Psalm 139, in the womb. He says, they are so wonderful, wonderfully fashioned in the womb by me. I have so many beautiful thoughts of this creation I am making. When you see a person, a human coming towards you, you're supposed to be thinking, this person bears the image of my creator and my redeemer. This person is a person of value that I need to give my body to care for and minister to. See, that's the will of God. The world doesn't know how to think God's thoughts and evaluate specific precepts or places. God wants us to. It begins with presenting our bodies as a spiritual commitment, as a rational, logical commitment unto God in worship. You know, we talked about this when the pandemic was thrust upon us several years ago to fear us into... Just stay in a way. Keep, keep your body away from everybody else's body. And then you read a verse. Now I want you to present your body. And your body matters unto God. And all the things that God has designed for us to do with our bodies. Instead of thinking God's thoughts, we let the world twist our thoughts. So prove the will of God by presenting your bodies, first of all, to God. Second. Renewing your mind. The mind is, is something the Holy Spirit uses. And, and you need to store your minds with the Word of God. John 16, I think it's verse 8. Here's a passage that just tells us, I think about this a lot. This is the Holy Spirit's job. Every day in my life, He do, does three things for me. But a lot more, but this is what He's doing with my mind. Uh, John 16, verse 8 says, And He... When he comes, that's the Holy Spirit, will convict the world of three things. Of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. And in any given moment, I can ask the Holy Spirit, is this sin? Is this righteousness? Or is this leading us to judgment? Ask the Spirit to renew your mind, to, to remind you. And I often sometimes just sit back for a moment and say, God... Remind me. This is the Holy Spirit's job to remind me. Remind me what I've read in the Bible. Remind me what the Scripture says. Sin, righteousness, or judgment. I need to be renewed in my thinking. God says, I'll tell you just what you need when you need it. You just keep pouring in the Word of God. I'll just go ahead and jump to the, the third one. So you renew your mind. The Holy Spirit's going to help you do that. But number three is trusting the, the Bible to apply. You've got to put the, the will of God into our heads, to our hearts, um, so that we 
you know, you see that person coming, you begin to think Psalm 139, or you begin to think Genesis 1. You begin to think these people are image bearers wonderfully made by God. And I come to those conclusions as the Holy Spirit directs me in a renewal of my mind regularly through the scriptures. So as you read your Bible, I want to ask you to, to get more out of it. Look at 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Just a go-to. If you don't have this one memorized, probably ought to. 2 Timothy 3, 16. If you are struggling getting stuff out of the Bible, you can stop that right now. And start getting a lot out of your Bible every time you read it. It doesn't matter whether you read a verse or read whole chapters. Just ask this question. Look at 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. It says, all scripture is inspired by God. So God breathes it out. And it is profitable. Okay, stop right there a minute. Every passage of scripture has a profit. You're going to gain. It it's, has a benefit. It's beneficial for you. Everyone. God didn't make accidents. He's given us so little. 66 books for all of life. You have them. Now that you've got them, you say, well, God, I just read that. God, I don't know. What, why did you give me that? And then he says, I'm going to tell you, there's four, four reasons why I gave you Scripture. All Scripture, every single part, is profitable. It's going to teach you something for teaching. Reproof. You're doing something wrong. He wants to reprove you, encourage you. For correction, he's going to show you the right way. God doesn't just show us, hey, that was wrong. Let me show you what's right. And then for training. I'm going to show you how to, to do this in a repetitive way so you, you actually become more and more like Christ. You actually become sanctified. Little by little, day by day. So those four things, whenever I struggle, I say, God, I, I don't understand this, this verse. I just sit back and meditate. Okay, it's for my teaching. There's some teaching here. It's for my reproof. There's something God wants to alter in my life. There's something that needs to be corrected. So there's a correct way to do what I'm doing wrong. And there's motivation. There's encouragement here to train me in it. And if I get those four purposes of all of Scripture. If I get them into my life. Guess what happens? Verse 17. Then the man of God is thoroughly furnished or equipped for every good work. That was verse 17. I'm equipped, I'm furnished, I'm thoroughly for everything God needs me to do. So that's what I mean when I say number three, trust the Bible. The Bible is made to thoroughly equip you, to furnish everything you need to prove the will of God. So when people come to me and ask hard questions, like, why did God give me this cancer? Why did God give us coronavirus? Why did God... Give us a fearful government. I mean, you can sit back and say, well, no, let's, let's look at the scriptures and let's pray for teaching and reproof and correction and training in righteousness. And let's let God direct us into the very specific will he has for us in this situation. You can trust God's word to give you what you need. He speaks to us today through his word. Present your bodies. Are you willing to come to Him physically? To bow before Him? 
to pray to Him with your bodies, to give thanks in all things with your bodies, to commit yourself to morality with your bodies? Are you willing to ask the Holy Spirit, renew me, renew me, renew me, convict me of sin, of righteousness, of judgment? Are you willing to say, well, I don't get it yet. I'm going to dive deeper and read more into God's Word so that I can start trusting the specific things. Now, one of the things I, I do, and I, I've encouraged you before, is to memorize the Ten Commandments in some short version. You want to know the Ten Commandments like that, so you can just think through them as though they are a grid for your understanding God's direction in your life. So somebody comes and says, um, I've got a choice between this job and that job. Which job should I take? I want to know the specific will of God. I say, okay, well, that's, that's really not probably difficult. Let's uh, just go through the Ten Commandments. They look, what? Yeah, just go through the Ten Commandments. Which job enables you to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength most? Which one has no other God before you than the true God? First commandment. Second commandment, which one doesn't create those idols or encourage those idols Andrew was talking about a minute ago? Which job is less of an idol factory for you? Third commandment, which, which, which job is not cultivating profanity, taking God's name in vain? Because words either promote death or they promote life. God wants you to live. So let's get back to evaluating this speech in your employment area. Fourth commandment, which, which of those jobs enables you to rest in the Lord on the first day of the week and equip you to think God's thoughts and to do God's will and to live passionately, body and soul, for Him the rest of the week? Which one is doing that? Fifth commandment, which of those jobs most honors the authority God put in place, starting with mom and dad? Honoring father and mother and presenting an authority structure that's going to be the tracks this world's going to run on. Sixth commandment, which, which one of those jobs most is pro-life? Thou shalt not murder. So this job wants to promote life. And the choice for life. Which one of those jobs most promotes the sanctity of marriage? Seventh commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery. So which one's best for your marriage in building up this family unit that God designed for the replenishing of the earth? The eighth commandment, which one of these jobs most protects private property? They're not there to steal from you or to take from you, but they understand God has given you certain things and He made a command that other people don't have a right to it because it's yours. It's private. Thou shalt not steal. We've got a world that thinks they are entitled to break the Eighth Commandment and take from you and me and so many others because they are not thinking through the grid of God's commands. And then the Ninth Commandment. Which one of those jobs, uh, I'm running out of breath if you're thinking through this. <clears throat> Which one of those jobs is not against you protecting your neighbor? 
not against you protecting your family. And they value that as a first priority. And then the tenth commandment, not to covet. That's a command saying, which one of these jobs best fits you in your calling and in your giftedness? And it's not encouraging you to covet or envy someone else's calling and someone else's giftedness. So how does it match up with the way God equipped and called you? Once you go through that, it's like, oh, well, I know which job it is. It's neither one. I got to go some find another job. You know, it could lead us so many places, but you can prove the specific will of God for your life by presenting your body, by, oh, you know, did I put that in my, that was good. Had that up there all the time. I didn't know that uh, y'all had uh, notes. Cool. All right. Well, I'll just move on. Transforming your heart. Let me just hit this last one real quick. Look at the Pharisees in Matthew 12, 33 and 30 through 37. Matthew 12, a story of the Pharisees gives you a little glimpse into their wicked hearts, which is what I think Christ is really trying to do in this passage. Matthew 12, verse 33. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. So he's accusing the Pharisees here of trying to speak out of both sides of their mouth, trying to make a, a good tree a bad tree or a bad tree a good tree. So you can't do that. Good trees are good trees, bad trees are bad trees. You, you, you can't combine this. Verse 34, you brood of vipers. How can you be in evil? Speak what is good. For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. Let's jump down to verse 37. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. What's Jesus saying? He's saying to these Pharisees, you're evil. He said, you're, you're coming to me with spiritual words right now, but that's not, uh, that's not who you are. Out of your heart are deceptions. It's evil. And what typically comes out of your mouth is evil. And he wants us to say, I, I focus on the heart. I don't just focus on the words. You can put on a show from time to time and have some good words. You get someone off by themselves, and they get really angry or really prideful, and they just tear you up. And you say, where did that come from? Well, I'll tell you where it came from. It came from the heart. So it was just spontaneous. I don't know why I said that. I don't know how that came out. It came from the heart. And because it came from the heart, you've got to transform the heart. You've got to focus on how do I, as a person, get transformed. And as I think about that, the people who change me are the people I hang out with most. You've seen that. You hang out with somebody every day, you start talking like they talk. You act like they talk. You emulate people that you're around. If I want to be transformed by the renewing of my mind in the Word of God, I need to be around somebody who is full of the Word of God. There's nobody better than Christ himself. How much time are you spending with Jesus? See, if you're not around Christ all the time, you're not really transforming your heart. And you still have these sporadic things that come out of your mouth that just don't make sense. Like, 
why am I so angry? That's not who I am. Well, something's wrong here then. This heart needs to be transformed so that those evil words quit coming. We can be transformed. We can start proving the will of God by getting time with Jesus and spending time with Him. Just encourage you to think through how often do you need to be with Jesus for a transformed heart? Some of us more than others. Because there's a lot of work to be done. Let me leave you with a, a verse. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. It says, we are destroying speculations. Every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we're taking every thought captive. Why? For the obedience, to the obedience of Christ. If you want to prove the will of God, you start by destroying what's not the will of God. In your mind, in your heart. In other words, you choose whether you're going to embrace God's truth or you choose to take what the world's offering. What's the world offering you? Everything you can imagine is on the internet. The news, the fake news, and you've got to decide. Is that something I discount? Is that something I destroy? Is that something I break down? Is that something the world is really just speculating about? They don't know. And I, my job is to destroy speculations and to get back to absolute, inerrant, infallible truth. And the way I get back there, destroy the speculations, destroy what is against God. How do I know it's against God? Well, I go through the commandments. If it's a wanting to break the command, it's against God. Destroy in your mind these thoughts that are against God and prove the will of God. Prove, learn to live to the obedience of Christ. So I've given you a, a big assignment. But I want you to see it's doable. You can know the will of God for your life. And you can begin to do this day after day after day to where you are walking in a manner that is acceptable and pleasing and perfect worship. God says that would only make sense that you would do that because of the mercy that I've given you in Christ. You would be all in for me. Let us prove what the will of God is. Let's pray. Father, forgive us for when we've been lazy. Forgive us for the times we've just let worldly, antagonistic, God-against thoughts just fly through our head, or even worse, kind of float there, encouraging us to embrace them. Father, let us say no to the worldly thinking that so surrounds us. And let us begin to think as you would have us to think so that we can prove what the will of God is, so that we can truly be the light of the world and the salt of the earth. Father, forgive us for being so conformed to this world and not transformed. 
as you have commanded. We can't live a transformed life, O oh Lord, without your will being clear. We ask that you would show us your specific will day after day, and may we search for it like hidden treasure. Thank you, Father, for this time to come to your table. Thank you for a life that's pardoned and cleansed from sin. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.